I had a friend who used to work on a pig farm. And a big part of her job was shoveling pig manure. And without going into a lot of details, you can imagine what she would look like and smell like at the end of the day. She said her boots smelled so bad that she didn't even want them in the car with her. She, she would leave them in, in the trunk of her car. I think she, she, she burned them at the end of the season. But can you imagine my friend at the end of her day driving home, walking in, walking in her front door, and just plunking down on the couch, still covered in pig manure. Or maybe getting together with her friends and, and going out for dinner and a movie, still all piggy. Well, of course not. You know what she, what she would do, what any of us would do when we got home from it, from, from spending a day like that, we would shower, we would put on a new and clean set of clothes. But if we would do that when contaminated by something as disgusting as pig manure, how much more do we need to put off the filth of the world that contaminates us, the, the filth of the world that sadly is often still in our hearts? The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But hear this, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We have been washed by the blood of Christ. We have been sanctified. We have been regenerated. We have been justified by the work of the Holy God. And so as those who have been washed, we then continue to wash ourselves, to continue to, to cleanse ourselves from the sin that so easily stains us. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul is telling us to put off the sin of our prior lives and to put on the new life in Christ. He's telling us to stop thinking sinfully and to start thinking righteously. He's telling us to stop living sinfully and to start living righteously. Paul began chapter 4 by calling Christians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called. We talked a couple weeks ago about, about just the, the, the grandeur of, of such a calling to think about the, 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 the gospel that saves us. To think about how wickedly we once walked. How could anybody possibly walk in a manner worthy of that high calling? Well, Paul there lists four things that he talks about or in more general terms to, to describe what that looks like. He says, with humility, 
Five things, rather. With humility, with gentleness, with patience, with loving forbearance, and with eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he called the church to maturity, to grow up in Christ and to use the gifts that God has given them, each one of the, each member of the church that he has given to serve the body. And so by doing to serve him, and, and he said that, that that's how the church is going to be built up. The church is built up in love as each part of the church does his or her part. Well, now Paul continues the, the practical command, telling us again, again not to walk in the sinful ways in which we once walked, but, but to put off ungodly thinking and attitudes and behavior and to put on the teaching of Christ. He's telling us to put off the old self and to put on the new self. This concept of, of put off and put on that, that we spoke about with the kids, that we spoke about last week, is really fundamental to practical Christian living. It's, it's, a, it's a fundamental part of biblical counseling. Because it's fundamental to our sanctification. This, this process of putting off sinful behavior and thinking and putting on righteous thinking and behavior. What Paul is really doing here is he's, he's drilling down to the core of who we are as new men and new women in Christ. As we're going to see in the coming weeks, he's going to get even more practical. He's going to describe some very, very practical ways that we can put off sinful behavior and put on righteous behavior. And so we put off the filthiness of our prior life, the life that we lived before we came to Christ. We stop thinking sinfully and we start thinking righteously. We stop living sinfully and we start living righteously. And so there's really three sections of, uh, in this passage from, from verses 17 to 24 that, that Paul is dealing with here. First of all, in verses 17 to 19, he's saying put off Gentile attitudes and behavior. Verses 20 and 21, he's saying, put on the teaching of Christ. And verses 22 to 24, he's saying, put off the old self and put on the new self. So first of all, verses 17 to 19, put off Gentile attitudes and behavior. He begins here in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. This, this first phrase that he's saying here is, is really important. It's, it's, it's vital we understand that, that all the scripture that Paul wrote is really the word of God. But, but he's adding emphasis here by, by invoking the name of the Lord. He, he's saying this as a Holy Spirit-inspired and Christ-ordained apostle. He's saying, I'm saying this as the apostle Paul, but it's also the word of Jesus Christ himself. Now, some people like red-letter Bibles. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, as long as they don't put more weight on the red words than on the rest of the words, because it is all the Word of Christ. This is all the Word of God. And so if you, a, a real red-letter Bible, then all of the letters should be red. R-E-D. It's all the Word of God. But this command here that, that Paul is laying down, it says that you must no longer walk as 
the Gentiles do. So what is he talking about here with, with Gentiles? Well, basically, everybody who isn't a Jew is a Gentile. And I'm pretty sure that means all of us in here this morning. Okay, so what's he saying then? He said, if you're not to walk anymore with the Gentiles, is he saying, okay, well, well, Gentiles eat pork, so we shouldn't eat pork. Well, no, he's not saying that. He deals with that in, in other areas. I'm not sure if my friend on a pig farm can eat pork any longer, but that's for entirely different reasons. What is Paul talking about here? Well, the Ephesian church is made up mainly of Gentiles. If you, if you know where, where Ephesus is, we've talked about this before, Ephesus is in what is modern Turkey. But in that time, it was known as, as being part of the, uh, about the Greco-Roman area. So it was part of ancient Greece, but was really subsumed under Rome. And so the culture was Greco-Roman. It was a Gentile culture. And it, stand in, it stood in stark, uh, in stark contrast to Jewish culture. And so the Ephesian church was made up mainly of Gentiles. There were, yes, there were Jews as well, because Paul had started his ministry in Ephesus in the synagogue, but, but there were Jews and Gentiles in one place. And we've talked about this repeatedly in the first few chapters of Ephesians, that there was animosity between Jews and Gentiles. But what God had done is, is he had made one new man in Christ, there's a, yes, there's still ethnically Jewish and Gentile, but, but there's a new category where men and women are now one in Christ. And so when he's talking about Gentiles, Gentiles here, he's talking about an ungodly way of thinking. An ungodly way of thinking. And so in this context, Gentiles characterizes the, the Greco-Roman pagan culture. This was a... Was a, a there was a, a, a whole pantheon of gods. They had all kinds of different gods that they worshipped. Gods for uh, there was fertility gods and goddesses, and 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 god, gods and goddesses of war, and and so on. There was all kinds of different gods. They did not worship the one true God, and, and everything about their life was was anti God. This was a culture that was was characterized by sin. There's no desire for God in these people. And that was also true of us, true of all of us prior to coming to Christ, wasn't it? Paul says that there is no one who seeks after God, no one, not even one, until the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts and to draw us. We have no taste for the things of God. And so this, this, this was, was a markedly sinful culture. And, and Paul describes these Gentiles in three ways. He describes their, their attitudes, their position, and their behavior. Their attitudes, their position, and their behavior. First, their attitudes. He's describing how they think. And, and he, uses it, he does it three times in verses 17 to 18. He says that they're futile, they have futile minds. That they are darkened in their understanding. And that they're ignorant. It's a pretty bleak picture. The, the human mind is, is, is really capable of all kinds of things. I was talking to somebody last week about creation scientist Jonathan Sarfati, who holds the world record for playing chess against 12 people at the same time. 
but he did it all blindfolded. This is the, the power of the human mind. The, the human mind is able to come up with, with cures for diseases. The human mind is able to, to put, put men and women into space. But apart from God, it is all futile. It is all vanity. The, the human mind can create symphonies and, and, and glorious works of art. But if it's not done for the glory of God, it is empty. It is pointless. The greatest thing that the human mind can conceive of is God. And even in, in our in our in our human state, it is, it is impossible for us to get only beyond just a small picture of who God is. But the greatest thing, the greatest thing that your mind can do is think about God. I'm going to actually, um, Karen, I'm going to go with this microphone instead. Okay. Got me there? Okay, that's better. The greatest thing that you can think about is God. A.W. Tozer said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so any achievement that does not have God at the center is in the end worthless. It continues that they are darkened in their understanding. They are blind to the light. That the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. Now Satan, the enemy, does play a role in this, but the reality is we were all born blind. We were born blind. This was our nature, our inherent nature, that, that we were born unable to, to see God. Unwilling to see God. But what's worse is that in their blindness they deny the reality of God who is before their very eyes. This probably makes you think of Romans 1 verses 18 and following. Verse 21 says, Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This means that the, the ignorance that Paul is talking about, both, both there in Romans and here in Ephesians, is willful ignorance. It is a willful denial of God. God has revealed Himself in His Word, God has revealed Himself in His creation, and God has revealed Himself in their consciences, but they hate Him, so they pretend that He doesn't exist. Friends, there is no such thing as atheism, only anti-theism. So that's their thinking. That's Gentile thinking. The, the thinking that we were all characterized by. But, but secondly, he describes their position. They are alienated from the life of God. It's saying they are cut off from God. They're cut off from the only source of life. Like, like a flower in a vase. It, it, it has, there's a, a, a beauty of that flower, but it has been cut off from the roots. It is that, that flower, those, those beautiful flowers that you gave to your wife are dying. And that's true of all of the unbelievers that we see around us. 
They are dying. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. And this again comes from the willful ignorance that I was just speaking of. And this in turn comes from the hardness of their hearts. Like we were born blind, we were also born with hard hearts. But what happens is, by sinful choices, people continue to harden their hearts. Their hearts were born hard, and by every sinful choice, their hearts are becoming harder. And in verse 19, Paul says that this leads to their becoming callous. Becoming callous. When you work with your hands, I've got pastor hands, not many calluses here, but, but when you work with your hands, you get calluses. And the calluses are really, they're, they're a, a, a defense for your skin. They're a way for your skin to, to protect itself from, from the harsh environment. Well, calluses are good on your hands, but they're not good in your heart. To have a calloused heart is to be unfeeling, to be unaffected, especially to be unaffected by your own sin and the sin that you see around you. So what happens when, when somebody enters into sin, when they begin to be involved in a, in a particular sin, what happens is that at first their, their conscience kicks in and they, and they begin to, they feel bad about it. But then, very, but then what happens is they, they go into further sin and very quickly their conscience is seared. Their conscience is seared. Like when you take a steak and you, and you put it on a hot pan, and you flip it over, the outside of the steak gets burnt, but the inside is, is pink. That's what a seared conscience is like. It is, it is unfeeling. It is unaffected by sin. So with their, their heart calloused and their conscience quiet, they are free to plunge into deeper sin. This is the third way that, that Paul describes the Gentiles. Their behavior. He says they've been given up to sensuality, to licentiousness. They're lacking any moral restraint. That's what licentiousness means. It's like you have license to sin. James Bond has a license to kill. This is a license to sin. This is a license that you feel that you can do whatever you want. Ephesus in Paul's day was characterized by decadence, by idolatry by sexual immorality, by homosexuality and infanticide. I wonder, does that sound familiar? That's our culture. That is our culture. It's really no different today than it was 2,000 years ago. Our culture also is, is characterized by decadence, by idolatry, by sexual immorality, by homosexuality, and by infanticide. Just the other day, Jane and I had, had gone for coffee and and we, we were driving, I'd, I'd heard about these, but I hadn't seen the Rainbow Crosswalk downtown. This isn't just, a, you need to realize, this is not just a, a celebration of, of color, and, and even, as you be told, of, of, of ethnic or cultural diversity. This, this was, was meant to, to be, this was, was done just in the lead up to the, the Gay Pride Parade, to Gay Pride Week. There's a statement that is being made here. Our culture doesn't just accept these sins, it embraces them, it celebrates them. And I wonder, maybe again you're thinking of Romans chapter 1. Maybe if we just turn there for a moment. Back to Romans chapter 1. Verses 29 and following. Paul gives a list of sins. 
And again, this is not an inclusive list. This is a representative list. It says they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, of evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's decree that those who practice those things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to, to those who practice them. This again, this is our culture. And I listed a, a few sins there that, that really are, are what we would probably call some of the big ones. We need to be careful not to miss what Paul is saying here. It's really easy to, to list those sins that are out there and say, well, I don't struggle with those. Those wicked people are doing those things. But all the while we turn a blind, turn a blind eye to our own sin, to our own rebellion. What really is, is at the core here is living a life that is, that, that is as though God doesn't exist. It's not just about those external sins. It's about the sin that is in our hearts. The, the sin that we once lived for. Let's face it, that, that sin indicts, that list of sin that Paul mentions there in Romans 1, indicts all of us sometimes. We need to be careful not to be self-righteous. This, this is not meant, this, these things are not meant to, to really keep you looking out there, but they're meant to, to cause us to examine our own hearts. To thank God for the grace that we have received in Christ and to give us love and compassion.